I don't know if you've experienced this lately, but every time I've tried to say something about the progressives in Congress or about Joe Biden's administration that's critical, I keep getting told, oh, you're trying to divide the left. And to myself, I think, only a shit lib would say that. Anyone who's really on the left has to see how terrible a Joe Biden administration already is, what with his cabinet picks and the way he's positioning himself on key issues. It should be abundantly clear to everyone that we're not going to push him to the left and we're not going to push moderates to the left. We're not going to push Nancy Pelosi to the left. Hell, we can't even push the squad to the left. So even though they keep punching back against my criticisms, I want to bring you more and more information that you can use to make sure they understand. So if you're getting the same kind of pushback, the same kind of flack that I've been getting, I want you to be able to use these information sources to push back even harder than they are pushing. We need to make it abundantly clear to the entire US population, not just to the comfy shit libs, but to everybody, that we're getting a terrible deal when it comes to how our government is being run. And the only way we'll be able to fight back effectively is if we have good information. And that's where I come in and that's where you come in if we can just share all of this information broadly. And when we bump into the typical obfuscation and garbage from mainstream media, we'll have something to fight back with. So more than anything right now, I want to keep providing the antidote to stupid shitlib comments on social media. And to that end, we have a great article here from Counterpunch by Richard Wolff called The DC Political Monopoly Just Doesn't Get It. He could just as well have said the DC political duopoly doesn't get it. The spectacle of political leaders disconnected from basic social realities survived Trump's defeat. He and his GOP had shown little grasp of the two great crises of 2020, the crash of capitalism and the COVID-19 pandemic. Trump's resulting political defeat did not reconnect them. The Biden Democrats already show they learned little from Trump's loss. Disconnection governs them, too. A basic social reality of the United States is its capitalist economic system that organizes enterprises internally into a small minority, employers, dominating the majority, employees, with markets to distribute resources and products. Like capitalisms everywhere, the U.S. version crashes recurringly. Variously called crises, recessions, or depressions, they have happened on average every four to seven years throughout capitalism's history. With three in this century's first 20 years, dot-com in 2000, subprime mortgage in 2008, and COVID-19 in 2020, the United States illustrates that four to seven year schedule. The 2020 crash is second only to the Great Depression of the 1930s in its social impact. That fact alone demands major policy interventions on the scale, at least, of what was done then, including the creation of Social Security, federal unemployment insurance, the first minimum wage, and the creation of millions of federal jobs. Moreover, the 1930s were not simultaneously a time of deadly viral pandemic. Given the uniquely immense challenge of 2020's two crises, no remotely adequate policies were undertaken nor even contemplated by Trump, Biden, Republican, or Democratic establishments. They just don't get it. I'll break in here and say they get it very well. They know exactly what they're doing. They're trying to fuck the American people, and they've been doing it for 40-plus years. If you've noticed over the last few months, I always correct anyone who says they just don't get it because we know very well they get it, they're very good at what they're doing, and they do it on purpose. 
The COVID-19 pandemic replicates past viral outbreaks from the deadly 19 influenza pandemic to recent SARS, MERS, and Ebola outbreaks. Coping with them requires having ready or quickly acquiring adequate supplies of tests, masks, ventilators, hospital facilities, and trained personnel. Where supplies of these essential resources were left mostly to the private capitalist sector, fatal failure resulted. It was not privately profitable and far too risky to produce, stockpile, and maintain these supplies for years until a pandemic enabled them to be sold. Private capitalists chose other more profitable and or less risky investments. Private capitalism, as many had forewarned, was unreliable for protecting public health. Of course, the government could have intervened to offset private capitalism's failure to safeguard public health. It could have purchased tests, masks, and ventilators as fast as private capitalists produced them at prices profitable for those capitalists. The government could then have stockpiled them at taxpayers' expense for use when the next dangerous virus threatened. In fact, the U.S. government already does that, but not for public health. It buys and stockpiles missiles, warships, and tanks from private capitalists because profit-driven capitalists would not stockpile them. In the United States, Republican and Democratic establishments promote the government's full socialization of military costs as patriotism, while they demonize and block an equivalent socialization of public health costs as socialism. Inadequate preparation for COVID-19 was followed by failure to contain it. Trump and the GOP never considered, let alone implemented, massive government intervention. Many other countries did, mobilizing private and public resources effectively against COVID-19. Crude laissez-faire ideology plus corrupt political calculation drove Trump and the GOP. As to the pandemic's effects, they just did not get it. Or they just did not give a fuck. Either a capitalist crash or the COVID-19 pandemic alone would have been a critical challenge for the United States. Having both occur together, a staggering combination, requires just what Trump did not and Biden is not doing, a similarly unprecedented government response. Thus, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell are not even trying for an adequately large stimulus. Their joint product promises to be a prime example of too little, too late. Neither party leadership advanced policies enlarging upon what worked well in the 1930s, a massive federal jobs program to end unemployment, a Green New Deal, and a national system of COVID-19 testing, tracking, and treatment in additionally constructed hospitals and clinics. Nothing suggests Biden's centrist cabinet sees the magnitude of the need. They just don't get it. But they do get it. For both Republican and Democratic establishments, political strategies are similar. Each endorses, privileges, and supports private capitalism. Each blames the other party for negative results that flow from the social dominance of private capitalism. Neither dares blame private capitalism for social problems like unemployment and pandemic casualties. Instead, each has its preferred set of scapegoats to blame. Republicans blame immigrants, foreign trading partners, especially China, non-whites, pro-abortion rights activists, mainstream media, liberals, and socialists. Democrats blame Russia and Russians, China, gun enthusiasts, white supremacists and racists, Fox News, and Trump and his supporters. That was a pretty brilliant summation there, Professor Wolf. A solution would be a genuinely level political playing field. 
It would include a new political party that criticizes and opposes the capitalist system because of its responsibility for critical social problems. It would break the political monopoly run by Republicans and Democrats, just as many economic monopolies have ended in the nation's past. Today's crises, inequalities, divisions, and the sufferings of so many deserve no less. Yet the political monopolists want to keep their control. And then his conclusion, they just don't get it. But that makes no sense, because we know who pays them, and they're serving those people just fine. And this by David Sirota, Biden's austerity zealotry helped cut the stimulus bill in half. The New York Times tells us that the president-elect's move to undercut progressives gave Democrats confidence to pull back on their demands and surrender to McConnell. If there is any consistent through-line in Joe Biden's long career, it is his commitment to the ideology of austerity. He has obsessively pushed for social security cuts for decades, and he is stalking his administration with deficit hawks, including today's announcement that notorious social security cutter Bruce Reed will be White House Deputy Chief of Staff. Biden has even threatened to veto Medicare for All legislation on the grounds that it costs too much, even though Congress says it would actually save a lot of money. Now, in the whittling down of the stimulus legislation, we see the first concrete example of how Biden's ideology can change policy in the here and now and in deeply destructive ways. As pain and suffering is crescendoing across the country, Biden refrained from aggressively pushing the bipartisan initiative for $1,200 survival checks. Indeed, at a time when there was a legitimate chance to flip some Republicans, including Donald Trump, against McConnell and push for a more robust stimulus, he demurred. However, the New York Times reminds us today that Biden was not an idle bystander in the negotiations. On the contrary, the paper of record tells us that the president-elect played a decisive role in making sure the legislation was cut in half. Here is the key excerpt. With Republican and Democratic leaders in the House and Senate far apart on how much they were willing to accept in new pandemic spending, Mr. Biden on December 2nd threw his support behind the $900 billion plan being pushed by the centrist group. The total was less than half of the $2 trillion that Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senator Chuck Schumer, Democrat of New York, had been insisting on. And of course they rolled over very easily. Mr. Biden's move was not without risks. If it had failed to affect the discussions, the president-elect risked looking powerless to move Congress before he had taken the oath of office. But members of both parties said his intervention was constructive and gave Democrats confidence to pull back on their demands. Way to go, Joe. Read that again, just so it sinks in. Biden endorsing an initiative to slash the stimulus bill in half gave Democrats confidence to pull back on their demands for a much more robust rescue package at a time when America faces rising food insecurity and poverty. His enthusiastic lauding of the final bill underscores the role he played. In November, the American people spoke clearly that now is a time for action and compromise, Biden said in a statement. I am heartened to see members of Congress heed that message, reach across the aisle, and work together. This is a model for the challenging work ahead for our nation. What a piece of garbage. The American people spoke clearly. That's what happens when you vote for corporatists. That's what happens when shitlibs endorse corporatists with their votes. They get this kind of garbage. That we've given them an endorsement 
that we've given them a mandate. And because we voted for them, we have nothing to say about it afterwards. That's why I'm glad to say that I didn't vote for Joe Biden. In case you don't remember, I voted for Howie Hawkins. He was on my show earlier this year. That last line of Biden's statement is arguably the most disturbing foreshadow of all. He is depicting the process which starved America for months and now skimps on benefits as a terrific model for the future. Notably, Biden's austerity ideology was not aimed at the $671 billion military spending package that was tacked onto the COVID rescue bill, which also included billions for Trump's space force and new weapons systems. Instead, austerity was targeted at the part of the omnibus legislation that was supposed to help people whose lives have been destroyed by the pandemic. That's what happens when you vote for shit-lib corporatists. Biden's pernicious role in this episode previews what we can expect when he takes office. After all, if you draw a Venn diagram of Biden's priorities and McConnell's priorities, the overlap is budget-cutting zealotry, and Biden is building an administration full of precisely those kinds of zealots. I don't particularly enjoy being the bearer of bad news here. It's not fun to report on these painful truths, but it's better that we know what we're dealing with rather than pretending everything is swell. So I'll break in and say, when you get people telling you that you're destroying party unity, tell them that they're destroying human beings. And they're destroying our planet, too. Back to David. When it comes to budget politics, I've spent the last year and a half of my life warning about the dangers of Biden's particular brand of austerity ideology. So why, David, did you tell us to vote for this asshole? Back to David. And for the most part, few have seemed to care about it at all. Well, maybe that's why you don't like to offend your readership. In fact, Democratic voters happily rewarded Biden with their party's nomination, and you rewarded him with your vote in the general election, even after a series of ads and primary debates spotlighted him bragging about working with Republicans to try to slash Social Security. Who did you vote for, David? Perhaps Biden skated because he so brazenly lied about his own record and because austerity can seem like such an esoteric and intangible concept. Perhaps Biden skated because so-called progressives didn't tell us to refrain from voting for him in the general election. Where were you when we needed you to tell us that? But now we see what Biden austerity means in practice, like we didn't see it coming. It means meager $600 survival checks instead of $1,200 checks in the same package that pours money into the Pentagon, gives rich people big new tax breaks, and doubles funding for Congress's own private health care system. It means inadequate unemployment benefits in a bill that devotes $6 billion to making business executives' meals tax-deductible and $3 billion to a tax break for landlords. If progressive advocacy groups, activists, and lawmakers do not call out and confront austerity politics head-on, it is going to be a painful four years. Not just four years. They've been warned about Biden's ideology for a long time. The stimulus bill is the biggest warning of all. I just have to say, this is the most hypocritical thing I can imagine. And that goes for anybody in the squad, that goes for Nina Turner, that goes for Bernie fucking Sanders. If you told us to vote for Joe Biden, then what the fuck right do you have to tell us all this? Even though it's all true, which is why I'm reading it, I don't see why any journalist should skate who's telling us all this truth about Joe Biden who yet still told us to vote for him in the general election. 
The only way I'd let you off the hook, David, is if you told us to just get out in the streets and wage the biggest general strike or series of strikes the world has ever seen, bigger than India. That's what needs to happen right now. And anyone not saying it is a status quo defender, whether you like to be called that or not.